Hi and welcome to the BizInc podcast. Um, I've got Glenn Senior here with me and Glenn is the CEO of The Small Business Company and he's also a director of, of BizInc, um, managing our content team and, and particularly providing small business insights um, that, that really keep our products relevant to, um, to business owners. So thanks for joining me today, Glenn. No problem. Could you give me um, a, a brief background to the small business company and, and maybe how you came to be involved with BizInc, please? Yeah, sure. So we're a content specialist company. I know there's lots of content companies out there, but you know, we um, have been involved in small business education for quite a while. So we used to run workshops. Um, you know, then we fell into sort of online training. And uh, in the olden days, we even did CD-ROMs. But it's always been around... Um, helping small businesses start, you know, grow, export, um, look at their pain points. But we tend, and we've tended not to sell them directly to small businesses. So we've always worked in the corporate sector. So a good example would be, you know, we've, we're now specialised with banks. So um, we have a whole bunch of banks in nine different countries, and they will put on their websites, you know, small business bla- uh, planning content, business plan templates, cash flow templates, videos, and the graphics, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. So primarily, um, we focus on that small business niche. Um, we white label and, and put our content on other people's websites. Um, so we're not consultants. You know, we're not looking to pick up small business clients. You know, we, we pretty much want to push um, small businesses to our client websites or, or for lead generation. Yeah, right. And as far as business concerns, you know, we um, – you know, we know that banks and bank managers are, you know, helping small businesses start, and we know that the accounting sector has a critical element to play. I mean, a lot of businesses don't actually get their accountant first; they might get them second, um, but you know, they're still relying on those professionals for help when they need it. So, the accounting um, segment is a is a natural progression from banks. You know, you go, you open up your bank account, you start your business, and then you think, oh gosh, I need an accountant. Yeah, great. I'm interested to to talk about that in in more detail later. Um, I guess um, you know, th- so through your career with small business company, you've you've had exposure to, I guess, thousands of small businesses globally. You know, um, New Zealand, where you're based, Australia, UK, US, Canada, um, and kind of interested to see what you think of the well, if if there are any kind of universal issues. That, that small businesses are facing, you know, what what are they, and, and are they the same across across different countries? Yeah, it's a, it's a good po- good question. Uh, it's, it's actually probably millions rather than thousands. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, from you know biggest client would be Bank of America down to, to small banks, but in, in in the past Microsoft, mm-hmm. we had stuff in Microsoft and not nine of their countries for a while. So yeah, it's a really interesting point that you know what are the global issues now? The first interesting thing that we've found over the last 20 years is that there doesn't seem to be a big difference between how small businesses behave in different different countries mm-hmm. so um possibly maybe the uh, and when i say countries they are the i guess the western countries where um you know price margin um the the economic conditions are similar so um you know, we don't have any any um footprint in china mm-hmm. um or, or asia uh, which which can be qu- quite price driven, mm-hmm. but uh, so the universal issue. So there's only one, and yeah. it's pretty simple. Like 
every small business, they need to just to make sure that they've got more money coming in than, than going out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It sounds pretty obvious, right? But, um, you know, if they, at the end of the, every month, there's more money in the bank account, they won't worry about staff or products or, you know, they can be rude and horrible and obnoxious. They can have a poor product. But for some reason, if as long as more money's coming in at the end of the month, then, you know, they'll survive. And you can have the best business, fantastic um, experience. You can be um, the best product on the planet. But if nobody wants to buy it or your overhead structure's wrong, you're out of business. So I see, I see, when I see businesses that are stressed, it's always about the money. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, my, my main, my key staff member's going to leave. I can't get good staff. You'll always find somebody else. Um, you know, competitors come along and I've, and I've cut my price by half. There'll always be competitors. Um, but yeah, the single issue is whatever you're doing in your business, as long as you can make more money in than, than going out, then you'll survive. And I guess, how do you think businesses are managing cash flow? You know, badly, uh, well. You know, is that is that the main pain point, and um, how can they do that better? I guess. Yeah. So it's all about cash flow management, um, and you know, some people. Uh, you know, they'll manage the numbers. They'll they'll have their accounting software. They'll daily log in. They'll see what's happening. They'll track it. They look at their margins. You know, some businesses are quite sophisticated where they'll they'll know um, what they're selling. You know, hour by hour. Um, they can even you know track margins hour by hour. Whereas m- most of the small business businesses that we deal with, and I guess if I'm looking to segment, it would be from you know zero to twenty employees. Mm-hmm. You know the they tend to wait to the end of the month and they've paid all the bills and how much have they got left over. So mm-hmm. they can be quite reactive. Um, you know, I know some quite um, successful people that they get a contract and then they'll buy a new truck or a new piece of equipment. Haven't really thought about the long-term issues around should they be buying or leasing or what's the best use of that capital. But they do really well and then they've got loads of trucks. Um, you know, So far, so good until they lose a couple of contracts until somebody pays late, and then maybe that money should have, should have been best left kept in the bank. Yeah. So you know, it's like every business has its own peculiarities and characteristics, but yeah, cash managing the cash, what to do with it when you get too much, um, how to safeguard it. Um, I mean, you, you look at these, some of these companies that are listing um, and are making huge losses, but the, the potential to make money. Um, you know, software is a great example. Yeah. Um, through crowdfunding, you know, they make they're losing huge amounts of money, but you know they'll never they'll never go out of business until the cash dries up. Yeah. So you can you can lose a million dollars a year, but if you've got twenty million in the bank, then you've got twenty years, you know, twenty years to make it work. So, um, yeah, the more the more cash management, cash flow, and especially around those industries. So, if you, if you're seasonal business and you're a tourism business, um. You know, the, the flows of, of customers and money needs to be managed really carefully. Yeah, yeah. And um, so a lot of people listening to the podcast um, is accounting firms and bookkeepers, and um, they're, they're probably sick of hearing that um, compliance is getting squeezed and they've got to offer more business advisory services. And um, in my experience, a lot of firms find it hard to, to start those conversations um, so I was wondering, do you think cash flow is a good point to 
to kind of engage with a with a business owner, um, and that can open up into to further discussions about, um, I guess, what I'd call business advisory services. Yeah, um, first of all, I think that compliance is still pretty critical. Um, I I don't think the compliance work, especially around tax, is necessarily declining. Um, and the reason I say that is that. Um, small businesses want help on the things they don't know much about or that might get them into trouble. So, you know, I'm, I'm really careful to make sure that um, I get all the advice I can around all my tax planning, that everything's on time. I, you know, I don't know. Like, it's not my job to figure out what's changing or, or what I should be doing. So I really rely on my accountant for that advice. Um, that's going to continue. I think um, what I don't need, what I don't need from them is to, is to send me a profit and loss account. Um, you know, seven months after the end of the financial year and then talk to me about it because that's seven months too late and I, I pretty much know what I've made through my accounting software, right? So I know April 1st, within reason, pretty much what my net profit is. Yep. So, and then I don't want them to just tell me what I already know, what's, what's past. That's, that doesn't make sense. And I know what trend analysis stuff and, I mean, you can tell some things, but, but businesses so fast these days, you can't look at historical data um, for some businesses anyway, and make make good decisions. You need to somehow try and predict what's going to happen in the future. So, and that's tough. And and if you're giving advice, um, people will be reluctant to to try and guess what's going to happen. So, so my my thinking around um, what accountants should be doing in that advisory space is, um, you know, how can we make more money come in and go out. So, out's easy because you can control costs and look at overheads and structures and that type of type of thing but um, you know, for my accountant what I'd like to have is like well, how can you make more money come in or make business easier and life easier for me so I don't want you to tell me about my business because I know more about my industry than, than they will um, I don't want them to give me obvious advice about what happened the last year because I know that already what I find really interesting is like who can they refer me to who, who do they know um, in a similar network have they got networks they could plug me into that I can talk to other business people how, they, how are they facilitating um, me talking to some of their clients um, where we might have something that we could do complimentary together or are there any contracts or um, uh, is there any government work coming up that they know about or um, you know, are there any subsidies or grants that I should be aware of that, that they may be aware of you know, inside Callaghan and, and a whole bunch of other um, government type um, uh, subsidies that are available. So mm-hmm. you know, don't just tell me about the numbers. What else can you do for my business? Are you actually really thinking about me? Um, and, and how can I tap into their wider knowledge? Because I'll know a whole bunch of stuff about a whole bunch of industries that um, could be really useful to me. And so that's the kind of advice I think they should be getting into. Um, yeah, cash flow management, you start there. How, how do we make more profit? But that, that's kind of easy and that's kind of expected. So to surprise me would be you know, maybe they can run an event um, at their office and inviting all their clients and getting a guest speaker to talk about growth into another market or talk about new product um, innovation or something that actually adds value to my business rather than just tells them rather than tell me what's happened in the last twelve months. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned there things like uh, profit and loss. Um, so things like those basic financial statements, CFP and L, cash flow, balance sheet. Yeah. Um, what do you think? the level of financial literacy is among small business owners um, and, you know, is there a role there for accountants to, to kind of educate the clients on how to read that that kind of information? Uh, so 
I think as far as you know, liquidity ratios or profit and loss, or um, they the knowledge is normally pretty low. The, mm-hmm. the level of understanding would be low, but that's that's because they don't see it's re- it's relevant. So if you say that my gross profit is a certain percentage, yeah, but that was last year, and you know I've changed things, or um, you know they but they do know their margins and they know how much cash they've got in the bank. They know how to make money. They know how to pro- you know price into their market. They understand about their costs and how much they pay for things. You know they know all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But as far as um, as soon as it goes into a, into a financial document, um, like a P and L or a balance sheet, then they kind of see that as being historical and, and less relevant. Cash flow, yeah, because they can predict cash flow. It's month by month or week by week. But those other documents, if we're being honest, are really only useful for the IRD, right? So you only need a profit and loss in the balance sheet so you can prove what prop, what tax tax you have to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you didn't have to pay tax, there wouldn't be any profit and loss in balance sheets. I, I suspect it'll be how much cash have I got in the bank? You know, in a, in a broad sense. Yeah. Okay. So, so in my view, small businesses don't pour through their financial statements at the end of the year, which is probably if it's end of March, it would be two plus months at least, I suspect. And looking back over the you know the previous fourteen, sixteen months and making decisions on their business. I, not in my experience, they don't do that. They're busy thinking about the next three months um, and what's happening right now. So the, the challenge for accountants is to how do they get that profit and loss and balance sheet information on a monthly basis? And I, and you can do that, of course, through through your accounting software. And actually talking to them monthly or for not, uh, or you know bi monthly rather than once a year. Do, do you think there are other kind of financial statements that would be more useful to a, a business like you know? I think maybe a balance sheet is interesting to understand, but you know, month to month, possibly that doesn't help you too much. Do you think there are other financial statements that should become more standardised? Um, well, as far as being useful for a small business, um, the further financial statements would need to be industry specific or, or, or data. Mm-hmm. Like so, for a tourism business, then you know they want to know that. Um, customer numbers, people coming into the country, how many they convert, how many people are coming into the region, um, how many, where to get all their phone calls, is it through the web, has your booking system going, um, can they get capacity, so how do they, rather, you know, how do they, they go from 80% capacity to 85% capacity, they're the numbers and, and, and docs they want to look at, um, not another financial statement that's based on past history. Yeah. Um, so no, no. I mean, so yeah. So industry detail is what is what they're after. So make kind of things like benchmarking, because that seems to be, um, you know, as as much as I've been around the accounting software profession, that the, the holy grail, um, never really seen it delivered that well. But the no. the likes of you know zero being in the cloud now have uh, access to hundreds of thousands as, of of businesses. So you know, you mentioned tourism. It would be amazing to be able to compare yourself to what other people are doing, pricing, all all these kind of things. Do, do you think that's kind of like would be a big leap forward? Yeah, I think I think that'd be really it's really useful. I mean, there are some benchmarking tools that you can um, delve into um, that provide some of that data. The, th- the key thing about zero um, with their benchmarking is that um, people can't lie, so you know it's coming straight from their accounts. Yeah. Um, past benchmarking, um, people kind of you know fill in the gaps or they do surveys and they can always fib. Yeah. Um, 
So you can never be truly happy about the accuracy. So some of that is dirty data, um, whereas straight from the account of software, that's fantastic. It's, it's pure data. But, um, just be aware that uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, what, what decisions would people make from that benchmarking data. So if I know that um, the industry average um, net profit is, you know, 14% and I'm at 10%, Okay, so what what do I do, right? So that's when the accounting uh, advisory network can kick in. So you can say, right, um, if you're lower than the industry average, here are the six key reasons why. Um, you know, who you're buying product off, how's your pricing, who are your key competitors, um, what's your product mix like. You know, you can do all those variables to try and increase your net profit. So that's kind of handy. Um, but if you if you find out that your net profit is ten percent and the average is fourteen, and then you go, oh yeah, that's because you know, I had to discount for a few months and I had to do this and they just sort of explain it away, then it's less useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, benchmarking would be, it's as long as you do something from it, like any, like any of this stuff, if you, if you get some data and you go, oh, that's nice, mm-hmm. uh, you, there's no point even, you, know, you shouldn't have bothered. Yeah. But if you're committed, if the, if the business owner is committed, um, then, then it's useful. Yeah, I mean that leads me to something else that, that that I've been thinking about quite a lot recently is that um we've got all these amazing tools now, cloud accounting software, business software. So, you know, maybe in the past having that data was tricky to get hold of. Now we've got data coming out of our ears. There's there's almost yeah. too much. Um but but all of these things are just tools. And you know, without um insight and advice, um they didn't do anything. So what I've been thinking about is that, you know, we're always told that the the, the biggest proportion of, of businesses that start up fail. Um, you know, you can read different stats on that, like eight out of 10 or, or, or whatever. It's a high number fail. Um, do, do you think that that can change? You know, can, can businesses, you know, become more durable? Can they last longer? And, and, and if they can, like, what's going to drive that change? Yeah, I, I, you know, the whole how many people are failing is is a bit of a um, red herring. I think um, yeah. you you know you go from a from a from a partnership and you decide to form a company, then the partnership technically ended. Yeah, it's not, it's not a failure; it's a transition. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing, uh, there should be more failures. Um, proportionally because it's easier to start a business nowadays, right? So mm-hmm. you can start a business in your bedroom and you can form a company, um, cost a few hundred dollars, um, grab a website and you're in business. And so younger and younger people can start businesses, which is great. Um, you know, in the old days to build a big business, you needed lots of, you need hundreds of staff and offices and ma- ma- you know manufacturing or warehouses, but nowadays you don't. So, um, it's easier and easier and faster and faster to start and form a company and therefore it's faster to fail and that's good because you can test a product, you can design something, you can launch it, you can get it made somewhere else. You, know, you don't, need, don't need to tool up to make the stuff. You just buy it off somebody else or you know, contract it out. So you can, you can fail faster and you can, you can test proof, proof of concept faster. Um, yeah. So I don't, yeah, so I don't think um, that's an issue around more businesses failing. Um, just make sure it's not you. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, talking about startups there, um, 
you mentioned at, at, at the beginning that um, you know people go to a bank first. Obviously, they need when well, they need a bank account, they they probably need some funding, mm-hmm. um, and then they're probably going to look for an accountant. Um, what, you know, at what point do you think they should bring in an accountant? Should it be at that at that very um, that very early stage, or you know, should they wait till they yeah, you know, first tax return is due, or you know, where, where do you think that 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 time to hire them should come? So it's a it's a good question. So it depends, right? Um, if you ask most people that are say currently employed and are thinking of quitting and starting their business for the first time, so that's the perfect person to get as a client. Um, they may have a bit of loyalty to a bank, but they probably don't have any loyalty to an accountant unless there's a family accountant. Um, and an accountant is the last person they're going to want to ring up and pay money to talk to because they don't see them as being able to give advice to their business, to their industry. Um, And so often it tends to be right at the end when, oh, now I need to actually file my tax return or it could be four or five months after they've been in business or it could be, um, you know, they started off small and now they need to register for GST and, oh, gosh, hang on, how does that work? Um, This is like trigger points when they need an accountant. So accountants should be worth trying to bring those trigger points forward because really, if they've been honest, they should really speak to your accountant before they actually open a bank account to see if the business idea is viable. But mm-hmm. a lot of accountants don't have content about business viability or they're not running startup workshops or you know, they don't reposition um, at that front end. And I can understand why. I mean, that, you know, if you want a new client who's just starting and has zero sales, then they can be a bit of a pain. You know, you've got to talk to them and it's, it's low fees because they're, you know, they're really bootstrapping you up. You know, an accountant would much rather pick up a business that's got $5 million turnover um, and is much more interesting. But if you want to get into that, that market and, and build those customers over time, then they need to be positioning um, to, to make it more obvious that they are the first point of call. And in the same breath, you know, if they are looking to pick up $5 million businesses that are exporting, you know, where's their exporting expertise online or are they running, again, workshops for for first-time exporters or do they have content on their website around foreign exchange and how it works? Um, You know, just simple things like that they can do. So in in my experience, they are only when there's a trigger point do they get asked. Um, But if accountants as a group identify those trigger points, create some content that solves them, and then actually try to engage those people a few months before they need help, then it's going to be a solution for everybody. Well, I think as well, what you talked about there, using the example of exporting, um, firms are being, you know, being advised to, to specialise in an industry or a certain niche, um, and, and I think that makes that process a lot easier, and, and you're obviously adding more value is that... Um, you know, if you if you go to somebody, okay, yeah, we can do your tax. Um, but if you can say, look, I've got specific expertise in, um, yeah, yeah, let's say it's exporting, then I think a business, a new business, will see that value far more clearly than just you know general kind of business and accounting advice. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And let's say you want to export to China, make it, you know, I'll choose an easy one. Then you may not have a if you're a smaller practice. You don't actually have a staff member that does actually um, specialise in helping businesses export to China. Then just partner up with somebody that does, or um, you know, find an advisor that has expertise. You can still say you've got it in house. Um, they just contract it in, or you partner with somebody else. 
So even smaller practices can actually identify targets and outline how they can help. Um, so the, the more specific you can be, because uh, every you know, how many dairies are there, and you know, and or um, say say how many restaurants are there in, in a country? There's there's millions, right? In some countries, mm-hmm. so you think, oh, we'll, we'll create some content for restaurants, and that's valid. But if you're the restaurant owner, every single person that runs their own restaurant thinks their restaurant's different. I'm on the other side of the street. You know, are we different, different type of food or um, we've got different type of um, interior um, decor or we've got a different menu. I mean, every single business owner considers their business to be unique. And that's the challenge really is to create content that um, or things that, will, uh, that the business owner will want to come to you. Um, so, yes, ind- industry is good. Uh, and then you need to um, – the, the accountant needs to then say, oh, but I know that you're different. You know, I understand how your business works. And, the, and if they're an existing client, they should know everything about their business, including which side of the street they're on. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, one thing that um, I, I see with a lot of people who start up a business is they completely underestimate the amount of um, time it's get, they're going to have to put into it, probably be out by about half at least, you know. Um, and And I've seen a lot of people become very tired uh, overweight unfit running a business and as somebody i know <laughs> you, you do a lot of sport how important do you think physical health is for for business success uh well the alternative is dead isn't it <laughs> um all right well no i'm stating the obvious that's critical you know i i guess it's a it's a personal thing um because i know some people um you know, may not well may struggle to exercise or they've got various health problems apart from being healthy but if you don't if you if you could be if there's no reason for you not to get out and run around um you know I'll, not that i'm being judgmental but if i go to a, a, a seminar or a conference and there's a really successful business person up on the stage and you know they've made huge amounts of money or they're doing something amazing and if i if they're sweating and overweight and um look really um, you know uncomfortable on stage then I'm thinking well that's not success is it because why haven't they found the time to actually um, to be, be healthier and and as a role model um, you I think there needs to be a balance between um, not only being successful in business but also your, your, your lifestyle um, so I was talking to um, colleague and you know if you think of um presidents and prime ministers and you know people that run countries and how do, how do they work their, their, their life work balance and um this person was talking to one of these business leaders um who happened to be the prime minister and he said well you don't you don't actually um have a work-life balance you bring your life into work mm-hmm. so they actually bring their kids and take their families when they go places because that's the only way they can do it um so you've got to, you, in my view, um, you have to bring that health aspect into your work. Um, otherwise, you know, it's just not much fun. Yeah, I, I stop at three, between two and three in the afternoon. I take an hour out and I'll go to the gym or I'll go for a run um, pretty much six days a week. And I feel a hell of a lot better when I've finished and a lot more um, energised when I come back from doing that, you know, that, that um, daily activity. 
definitely. So, and you know, you, you, you'll be the same. It's it's just really important to take some time out, diarise it in your day. Um, you're a long time dead. Um, you only go around once. Um, and if you can't have time for family or for yourself, then there's not much point, really, is there? Yeah, right. Well, kind of leads on to my next question, which is, um, so if you have the time and, and resources um, to start up any new business right now, you could put everything else you did to one side, yeah. um, what would that be? Well, um, if I was being, um, uh, what's weird, not cynical, yeah, cynical, I would, I would start up a um, road cone company. Okay. Um, so living in, living in Christchurch with the earthquake, there's road cones everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this, this, I would be – so if I could start up another business, um, or if I was going to start up another business with time and resources, I would look at um, – I'd try and blend gaming into financial education. Okay. So um, – you know, we've worked in schools in the past, and you know, when I was at school, gaming you're a bit nerdy, but now gaming's kind of cool. Um, and all the all the young people are on their phones constantly, and and older playing games. And so I'll be I'll be blending um, that small business financial management into into gaming, um, and and getting it out as, into as many hands as possible, because I think. Being an entrepreneur and starting your own company is one of the best things you can do. I don't think you have to do it straight away when you leave school. I think you know you need to get some years under your belt. But um, you know the freedom and the flexibility and having your future in your own hands is is pretty pretty amazing. It can be scary just quietly, um, but yeah. So I'll be trying to gamify it, um, and and I think there's a whole bunch of storylines um, and virtual books and um, you know, mobile financial education, and if you blend it up into one, then I think that would be a pretty powerful business model. Okay, right. That's interesting. Um, well, listen, uh, we're going to wrap things up there. Um, thanks very much for, for coming along, Glenn. And we'll, we'll include a bit more detail about um, small business company and, and your role in BizInc on, on the podcast page. No problem. Hey, no, um, nice talking to you, Matt. Thanks, Sam. Okay, bye.